the asymmetry managed account was was created for some specific people and and we sat down and we answered two big questions number one how much decline in your account are you willing to tolerate most people and again remember we're managing all their money most of the time this is usually the the entirety of their portfolio. If they're a physician, they have five million dollars in their in their in all their accounts. I mean, I'm managing all in this one portfolio. So, so we're saying, how much can this five million dollars, or a million dollars, or whatever, hundred thousand, whatever it may be, how much can that decline before you tap out, or before you cry, uncle, or before you call us and say you're afraid, or you know, what, what's your uncle point? Where are you going to tap out? Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen. Maybe a piece here, I don't know, but, but it's a, been a very strong trend up. So its interest rate is down, you know, to like two percent. So interest rates are going down, bond prices are going up on treasuries, and and that's all interconnected to global deflation. See, I understand that, and there's not, I think that you know, there's not a whole lot of people that I know, and I know I, I communicate fairly regularly with about a hundred people that do this stuff, and there's not a whole lot of people that truly understand what's going on and why gold is down, why the dollar's going up, and why, and it's it's global deflation. And the price of things are going down and interest rates are, you know, that's driving. And, and, and the second thing I think that's driving the long-term treasury up would be the fact that uh, the world, there's a lot of world markets that are actually falling recently. And that money tends to rotate into bonds and that drives the price of the bond up. Those kind of things to me are important. Now, do I, do I have to know that to do well? No, I don't. But, but I can tell you that overall, uh, part of my, the, the consistency of my return stream and, and the uniqueness of my return stream has been because I am, I, am, I am following trends primarily, but I also identify at times when those trends do get to an extreme and I do, to, I do some things there. Now, particularly for, I'll give you a good example. Um, I normally don't talk about in my fund a lot, but I'll tell you something I do in my fund that's different than I do in a managed account. Sure. So in a fund, if I've got a trend that's going to the moon, like say TLT, the treasury, I may go sell call options against that. I may start to slightly hedge that position. So I'm going to let it keep going up for, I'm going to let it allow it to keep running. But I may, I may say, you know what, this, this trend is, is reached an extreme point based on my definition. And I'm going to go and I'm going to use options to maybe hedge that position. And, and, and because rather than sell it, I'm going to let it go, but I'm going to hedge it in some way. And I may use a vertical spread or some real complicated option strategy to do that. By the way, options are very, very asymmetrical. You know, the payoffs are very asymmetrical if done correctly. They're not risky unless you don't know how to use them, which most people don't. But, but so the, I guess at the end of the day, you know, that's, uh, there, there's there's a lot to it. I mean, you know, for me, I believe, and for me, it's been man versus machine. And over the last ten years, I can tell you that when you look at my return history, which will be on uh, our website, Asymmetry Managed Accounts. Um, when you look at my return history, uh, in the first several years, uh, we had we you know, if, like if I compared it to the stock market, for example, which is is a bad comparison because we're not just trading the stock market, but. 
we the 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 performance was really really strong and and there's a reason for that it's because I had a lot of international exposure and I had a lot of commodity exposure to commodity indexes and, and particularly energy. Energy was rocking out from 2005 to, up through 2007. Energy sure. was really going to the moon. And, and most of the, again, understanding what drives trends, the tr return drivers, um, the, the, the driver of the returns at that time was the fact that you had commodities in certain in certain in those countries like you know Latin America that are commodity driven they were really rocking and rolling so we had a lot of exposure to that and energy and then and then you had the you know and and actually if you look real close if you if we compared it to the stock market uh, asymmetry global tactical kept actually going up into 2008 because then all of a sudden uh, I started actually getting short a little bit uh, using ETF, just inverse ETFs. We don't we don't use margin, and we don't short anything in the managed accounts. Uh, it's always just long exposure, but we'll gain some short positions through inverse ETFs. So it's just a nice, clean, easy strategy to do. We we do this in profit sharing accounts and all kinds of different accounts because we can. You see, because we're not shorting, we're not using margin or nothing like that. No leverage, although we may use a leveraged ETF occasionally if we want to. To gain more exposure with less capital, sure. but 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 going into 2008, if you look real close, uh, the portfolio kept going up. In fact, I think over there, from from that peak in the stock market of October 2007 up until October 2008, I think it gained around almost 20 percent when the S&P 500 dropped 20 percent. And there is a reason for that, and that's because there are certain countries were still going up, energy was still going up. Uh, we probably got into you know maybe some bonds that were going up in price, uh, and two two really unique things at that time that we don't do too often was that I was uh, I was short financials and REITs real estate through uh, through inverse ETFs. I'll never forget. I normally don't get much uh, questions from our investors because they they know they see what we do, they understand what we do, so they don't ask me any questions. But I do remember one investor back then saying, "Mike, you know who who shorts REITs?" He said, "That's a dividend paying and all this." And I said, "Well, I do." You know, he said, "Well, why?" Well, I said, "Because I said because REITs are going down more than anything else in the world's going up. Sure. Real estate investment trusts in early two thousand eight and financials." you know, banks and things, they were going down at a higher, you know, a better trend. Their their velocity was they were going down more than anything else in the world was going up. So we ended up with so we ended up actually going inverse using those. Cause because the managed account is mostly a long strategy. It's primarily long things. It's not, you know, but but it will go short things. And we do use like SH, the short in ETF, uh, S&P 500 ETF that, that you, know, tr you know, gets the short side. We will do that at times too. But it's just not a huge exposure to it because I just don't need it. And that strategy, I want to, I want, I want to, I want a consistent return stream. And so overall, it's a very flexible strategy. It's not really changed a lot. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of been doing the same thing over the entire period of time, but the conditions have changed. So that is probably, there's periods of time where we've had more bonds. There's periods where we've had more international stocks. There's periods where we've been, had more United States stocks. There's periods where we had currencies. You know, you don't hear much about currencies anymore, but you forget that, you know, the euro and all those currencies were doing really well in the early, you know, say 10 years, you know, 10 years ago to five years ago. Um, I don't know whether it's, I mean, what's intriguing to me actually is that you clearly embrace trend following and trend following is about, you know, mechanical systems for the most part, yet you do it differently. You have man and machine. Is it possible to quantify how much man and how much machine is in the, in, in the, in the strategy, so to speak? And, 
And has that relationship changed? Meaning, were you more doing your thing, imposing on the strategy initially, or maybe you do more now? How, how has that evolved? Oh, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I call it the human element. So I, I'll tell you this. Um, let, me, let me put it this way. Uh, no, I think that in the managed account program, now I have got, uh, I've got about 30 systems that are purely systematic and purely more mechanical. Okay. I, so I did back around 2003, I did develop some systems that are just complete systems and, and there, and, and there's no man involved. Okay. And sure. my, my thing is though, and I, and, and, you know, a lot of people have trouble with discipline operating a system. That's not my problem. That's not why the man's involved. And for me, I believe that there's the human element is, is that there's this, I, I want to supervise what I'm doing. Okay. So I am, I am overseeing these systems and I am applying these systems as I believe I should. And, uh, and, and so that's been, you know, I think very consistent now, now let me, let's talk about backtesting. Okay. So I developed these systems through the process of backtesting, which, uh, you know, backtesting is a scientific process whereby you, uh, you know, you look back in the past using past data and you apply different entry, exit and size systems to that. And uh, and you and you're able to then quantify uh, what works from what what don't work. So you're able to to mathematically determine what has a positive mathematical expectation. You're you're mathematically able to determine how much should you bet at each position. How we're, what point should you get out, and we're, you know, how much risk should you take in these positions, and what what you know what parameters? How should you define a trend? See, see, a trend following actually is not mechanical. Trend following is not just mechanical because if you read John Murphy's book, one of the first books I ever read, that was like probably the second book I ever read about technical analysis. They talk about trend following in there too. They're just doing it in a discretionary chart-based method. And that's, you know, and looking back on it, you know, that's that's to me not that's an inferior way of doing it because you can you be, you know, you could be doing this charting method and you don't know for sure uh, if what you're doing is actually going to work unless you have quantified it through a system. Now we've got a I think we've got some issues going on in the industry today that I that I've People are constantly pointing out to me, and you know that I uh, constantly emailing me things and stuff. There's a lot of people out there now that are going and backtesting models, and they're going out and selling backtested models, and 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 that was unheard of, by the way, in 2005. When I started doing this, and when I started uh, running a managed account in October or in, in April 2005 with real money, with other people's money. I developed the systems up from 2001 through 2005. 2001 to 2003, I did all my testing. In 2003, 2005, I started walking them forward and seeing, you know, how it worked, you know, walking forward. And then in April 2005, we put real money, other people's money into it and started actually running money in it. Now, that's a long process. I mean, that's that's four years. I'm now hearing about people that are going and back testing something today and then going out and selling it to people. And in and, and 2005, when you talk to compliance uh, counsel, uh, at least the people that I talked to, and I talked to a lot of them, it was unheard of to show somebody the performance of a back tested system to an investor. That, that was just, uh, I, I couldn't find an attorney that would say you could do that you know, uh, very well. I mean, I know that you could, but it was just not something that was considered to be something you wanted to do. And, and, and of course you could have your disclaimers, but, but, but I know that in the situation I was in, I, nobody thought that that was a, a good thing to do and I never did. And so now you've got back tests being sold everywhere. Well, the problem is there is, 
The interesting thing, and this is a, a, an in-depth answer to your question, but the interesting thing is, if you look at it, I, I, I would like somebody to show me that they did a back test 30 years ago, okay, and they did it on, say, 50 years of prior data 30 years ago, and I'd like to show me that they have done the exact same thing the last 30 years as they did in their back test. Because my point is, there in lie, there is the, the, the human element. You see, I don't believe that there are any systems that are running today that, are, uh, that have been exactly the same for 30 years, precisely the same. So if you, so if you do a back test and you go sell it to people, you're, you're going to have to make changes. Things change, markets change, things evolve. You have to add, you get to add new markets as they come out. You take markets out as they may have some issues. And that is the human element. You know, the, some of the, the people that you and I both know that have been doing this stuff for 30 years, uh, you know, they, they say, well, you know, we're very systematic and we're very mechanical and we, there is no human part. Well, there is a human part, I think. I believe that there is a certain skill level that you have to have, an experience level, to know when to make those changes over time. Because you can't look at a 10 or 20 or 30 year track record and not think that there's not some human element to it. I think that you do actually have to make some changes. And if you don't believe that, I think you'll find out someday that it's true. No, I mean, I completely uh, agree with you on, on that, that there is a human element. I think the difference is, though, that those who say that they're fully systematic, although admitting that in their research, they make changes over time. I think what they're saying is that if the situation, if a certain situation in, in the markets occur today, Uh, and it occurs tomorrow, our reaction are going to be the same. If I understand you correctly, in a sense, is that um, you know you actually have the ability to implement things slightly differently one day to another. I think that's the difference between being fully mechanical, but still obviously having a human element in the research and therefore being able to change your models. But the models will react exactly the same today as they will tomorrow if the same thing happens. In your case, and in many other cases, which works very successfully, you have the flexibility of implementing or reacting to, uh, you know, uh, to things in a slightly different way. And I don't think there's anything wrong or right about that, to be honest. As long yeah. as as long as people know what they're buying, that's the key thing. Yeah. I, well, the thing is, um, I started out as a as a chartist. Okay. So I started in the '90s. I was a chartist. And so, and, and I was, and I was a good chartist. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I did, I did well, you know, looking at charts and, and, and just, you know, simply defining, you know, I mean, you look at a chart and you can tell what's going up, what's going down. It's your definition, you know, you and depend on what time frame you want to look at. And I, I was able to, to implement that well. Uh, I decided later on around 2001, 2002, 2003, that I wanted to quantify that. I wanted to I wanted to start developing algorithms and systems and programs to, to make it more of a I wanted but see I did it in a different approach. Here's what's interesting, I think, is that you can go get a really high-end uh, back testing program and you can you can test all kinds of parameters and all kinds of different indicators. What I actually did was different. I actually already knew what I wanted to do. I already had methods that I was using. I wanted to just take a what was a more at that in the 90s a discretionary method. And to turn it into a more algorithmic, a more uh, systematic method, sure. and so that is a very distinct difference. And now, and let me be clear, you know, I, I don't, I don't sit around and try to figure out what's going to happen next, and I don't try to, you know, make decisions on a discretionary basis 
on a day on a, or on a daily basis, you know, based on what's going on. It, it's really there. There is a lot of systematic processes to it. It's just that, uh, you know, it's just that there I, I oversee it. I'm supervising it and I've got all kinds of different systems that do different things. And, l- and let me make another point about that. I can tell you this. Uh, you know, uh, the turtles, uh, back during Richard Dennis's, uh, training program, uh, they did not have a computer system that was mechanical that told them what to do. And, and they certainly didn't have a program that routed the trade to interactive brokers automatically without them even knowing it. Okay. What they actually did have is I believe they had a chart book and I believe they got it about once a week. And they actually looked at a chart book and they updated their data that way. And they, so they're, now if, now if you think about that, that was not a mechanical system that the turtles operated. Uh, we have evolved into that over time. You see, we the computer systems have allowed us to become more uh, quantitative and more systematic and more mechanical. But but even the turtles back then used chart books. They they didn't have you know Richard Dennison didn't hand them a a you know software. And uh, say, here's the software, hit this button and update the data every day, and it'll tell you to buy or sell and how much to buy or sell. You know, so you got to realize that, you know, I think, and, and in my opinion, when we get to, when we, I think that, I believe that there are human skills involved in this. I believe that there are human edges, and I believe that some of the, some of the friends of mine that have been doing it for 30 years that I've talked to recently about this, I believe as much as they want to, you know, as much as they will say, you know, yeah, we're mechanical and systematic, there is there is personal traits about that person and about me and about these different people that I know. There's certain characteristics about us that allow us to do what we've done. I don't think anybody, just anybody can go out and do it. What is it about you that you can't systematize because obviously you have the knowledge, you have the skill, you have the experience. What is it that you can't put into fixed rules in your methodology? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I actually, for the most part, I actually have. Uh, I have a, I do have a full, a more of a fully systematic version of, of everything that I do. Okay. Uh, the, the only thing, uh, and, and we've gone, I've gone so far as to have, you know, NLP experts actually observe what I do back years ago. That's how far I took this. Okay. So I had, you know, a neuro linguistic programming people, somebody actually sit and watch me make a decision to figure out what is it I do. Because you see, when you're, when you start, I was a discretionary person. So I was looking at charts and I wasn't even, and I was running screens, looking at charts, and and the funny, the funny thing is, is that that you're so in the flow of doing that that you don't really know for sure. I really couldn't even tell. There was pieces that I was missing that I, I wasn't even aware that I was doing because I was so in the flow of doing it. It's kind of like driving a car. You know, you don't think about shifting gears, so or, or hitting a gas pedal or brake. Now, uh, there, the you know, so most every I do have a systematic uh, methods of most of what I do. But the, the, the things that I do in the managed account program, though, that are more complicated is, is the, I think that, you know, so overall we're, you know, trend following and we're certainly using, you know, momentum and relative strength and velocity and directional trends. But the, the pieces of where, uh, where the counter trends kick in, I've got these counter trend systems that I have too. And counter trend systems are kind of, you know, so the theory of mean reversion is that a trend will go so far and eventually it'll get, you know, it'll overreact, it'll go too far, and it'll revert back to its mean. The VIX is an excellent example. Sure. 
So, so the VIX index is a is a the the VIX is not going to go to a thousand. Okay, it's gonna it's gonna oscillate between you know whatever maybe ten and and thirty for the most part, an average maybe twenty, and it's going to go to seventy or eighty occasionally, and it may go down to five someday. You know, but it's going to oscillate up and down, so it's very mean reverting. Um, that is a counter trend system that you want to apply to the VIX if you're going to trade volatility. I do trade volatility in my fund, you know. So uh, that is a that is a very that's very difficult to quantify and, and systematize, uh, you know, uh, because because there's I think that there's a whole lot of other understanding of what's going on in the markets that that gives an edge to knowing when to do those things, when to go long volatility or maybe when to go short volatility. And uh, but within my managed account program, you know, I've got I do have the model version of it. You know, it, I do have the systematic version of it. It's not it, it sort of replicates what I do in some some degree, but it is very, very it is far more complex than what and it, it's not it's not complex in that it is, uh, you know, some real crazy equations, but it's complex in that there's lots of different moving, there's different pieces to it. Mm. And it changes over time because, because you see there, there's different types of trends. Trends can go up and trends can go down and trends can be non-trending and go sideways. But trends also go up with high volatility. Like look at the S&P in the last six months, fairly, you know, a little better high, a little, little more volatility, it dropped 10%. And then here recently dropped five again, you know, a little more volatility than it was, say, uh, the year, you know, six months prior to that. So trends can go up with volatility. They can go down with volatility. They can go up with, with low volatility and smoothly. They can go down with low volatility and smoothly. They normally go down with a lot of volatility, though. They can go sideways. Or, or they can go sideways smoothly, or they can go sideways with lots of range that's very tradable if you're a swing trader. You know, they may go up and down 5 or 10%, you know, where you can actually capture those trends. Those are lots of different conditions to consider. And so, to me, if, 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 if you know, if you're running a, a the most simple trend-following system where, you know, using moving averages, which I do not do, by the way. I don't use moving average or just simple breakouts. Uh, my algorithms are a little more complex than that, uh, but if you're just trading moving averages, um, lots of research papers written on moving averages, and, and it looks good in theory, but it doesn't seem to work. Sometimes, you know, a lot of there's not been that many people that's been able to make those strategies actually work well in practice. If you notice, I mean, there's some great papers, but then you look at their performance and they hadn't actually made any money. They've been flat for ten years, sure. so. Um, so you know there there's you know there's there's understanding you know there's 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 the knowledge that you know like you know um, why wouldn't you use a two hundred day moving average well because there's a lot of scenarios where you could actually still lose a lot of money with a two hundred day moving average think about how the move the two hundred day moving average can you know, if the price goes down slowly enough and it doesn't ever pierce the two hundred day you could go to zero. I, I do want to try and take you back and, and pinpoint you a little bit just for my understanding, because I think it's actually quite interesting. And that is, can you pinpoint where it is that you use your, in lack of a better word, discretion or input relative? I mean, so so for, for me, for my understanding, so you have 33 systems. Do they just run on their own? Or do you say, actually, today we're going to run system number 17, 15 and 27 or where is it in the process that you add your value well i think i think the the main key is is that um so i have these i have multiple systems that i that i've developed and i run and and these systems now keep in mind they're not all 
necessarily used in the managed account or in the fund. And the funds, those two are using two very different systems. And but the systems are sort of like for me, almost like indicators in a way, because they're they're buying and selling different markets and then doing it in different ways. I've got counter trend, I've got trend following. Some of them are short term, some of them are long term, and so they're multi dimensional. And so the systems, uh, the neat thing is about having these systems and observing them operate over the last you know more than a decade now, is that I learn a lot from all these markets and all these systems about the, uh, about how markets trade because I've been able to observe these things. Now, where my I think where my advantage is or where I where I have and and, and so what I do is primarily it, it you know there is a it is very rules based, it's very systematic, but there are times where ultimately at the end of the day what I'm saying is is that I sit down, see the signal get a good feeling about it, see that it looks right, and pull the trigger. Okay, so I am ultimately, there. there is no routing of trades directly to the broker or anything like that. So that's what I call mechanical. Mechanical is, a, is if we did a fixed route and we direct it directly to the brokers and we don't even, you know, don't even look at it, and I know people who do that. What I do is I, I get up in the morning, I look at, I run all my, I run my systems and I determine, you know, we got, we should buy this or sell that or reduce this or add to that or, you know, my, reduce our risk in this thing or add risk to this thing. And, and I, and I look at it and I, I ultimately, I, I am a, ta- well, here's what I call it. I am a tactical operator. Okay. So I'm a tactical operator. It's like being in a, like a military operator, except, you know, a very different kind of way, but. But I'm a tactical operator. My job, my role is to, I've got these things, these systems and methods and processes that I implement. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I am taking responsibility for executing these things. And so, so as, I, as I do that, most of the time, it's very rare that I don't uh, take a signal uh, or, or that I may override something. Uh, because most of it is, you know, it is, it is quite systematic. I mean, it is program driven. It is algorithmic driven. But but there are times when uh, you know, for example, I mentioned recently, you know, there's there are some things in my portfolio that uh, you know, in one of my portfolios that has gone to an extreme, and I may hedge that, and that is because I you know I've got a counter trend system that says you know maybe you know I should hedge, and so I'll, I'll do those things. And let's look at it from the other extreme. Let's look at it. Very good topic. So let's take a moment here and let me explain sure, this absolutely. in two different extremes. Sure. One extreme is. If you tell me that your methodology is completely mechanical as a manager, if somebody has a, a completely mechanical methodology, then I and if and if I know what that is and I can figure it out, then I can also replicate it. I could put it in an ETF and charge ten basis points because all it is is just a system and there's no human involvement whatsoever. There's no skill. But here's the problem with that, because I had somebody approach me and asked me to do that a few years ago, and I just couldn't quite put my name on it. You see, I, I thought about putting coming out with some indexes, and I just couldn't quite do it. And you know why? Because at the end of the day, I reserve the flexibility as a as a as a person, as a money manager, as a trader, as a tactical operator. That at the end of the day, I'm I am I know I understand what's going on in the markets. I understand the how markets interact with each other. I understand why interest rates are doing this or that and commodities are doing. I want to understand what's actually happening. Now, now I don't apply that to my decision making so much as I do that I just understand it. And that, and it can affect, you know, there's times when, you know, what you don't want to get too loaded up in one market. I mean, let me give an example. Somebody said to me a while back that they put 25% in these in in four different areas of the markets. 
Well, I don't do that. I, I would actually go 75% in stocks, for example. You know, I don't have a problem doing that because I'm going to, you know, my exits control my risk. Um, but but if but I, but I, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to have 75 percent of my money in say tech stocks you see because I know better because of the correlations. Sure. Well, if 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 you really are that mechanical, okay, just launch an index, put it in an ETF, and that's all you got to do. It's not that simple though. If it were, then why why you know I, I really don't believe I, I just challenge people. Show me somebody who has been running the exact same system 30 years ago that they're running today or 40 years ago that they're running today I want to see it but I think I think I think Mike if I if I may just uh, venture a, a, a comment here I don't think there's anything wrong or right between the, the methodologies and I think where where maybe I've certainly you know personally differ a little bit is that you apply the skill in the execution and and in the overlay for me it's just an overlay but the people who are 100% mechanical, and I know quite a few of them, and, and so do you. Their skill, in my opinion, lies in the research because, of course, they evolve, but they just don't want to have to make any dis discretionary decisions when it comes to implementation. They want to yeah. make those decisions when they pick the parameters in their research and in their testing. That, that, I, that is the way I see the difference. I don't think there's anything wrong or right. Yeah, and I, well, I'll have to say that I actually what what you just described is actually me, though. I, I'll have to say that that uh, what you just said uh, describing them is not unlike me. I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing sure. as that. That sure. that would fit me too. Sure. My point is, though, is that yeah, I mean, the human element is in the systems development, yep. developing the systems and the methods that you use. Yep. The human element then, though, is also operating those systems, and and the and, and there there is. I believe there is a certain amount of skill involved over time that will that will guide you and will prevent, for example, you know, to me, you know, a huge, you know, drawdown would be unacceptable because my investors think it's unacceptable. You know, we are at the end of the day, asymmetry. The man, the asymmetry managed account was was created for some specific people, and and we sat down and we answered two big questions. Number one, uh, how much decline in your account are you willing to tolerate? Most people, and, 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 and again, remember, and we'll also get into the part where we talked about that I have, we, we're managing all their money most of the time. This is usually the, the entirety of their portfolio. So if they're a, if they're a physician, they have $5 million in, their, in, their, in all their accounts. I mean, I'm managing all in this one portfolio. So, so we're saying, how much can this $5 million or $1 million or whatever, 100000 whatever it may be, how much can that decline before you tap out or before you cry uncle or before you call us and say you're afraid? Or, you know, what, what's your uncle point? Where are you going to tap out? And, and most people will say this, and, and I'm talking about their entire amount of money here. Now, I'm not talking about just one you know, 10% position. They will say, at about 10%, I'm really paying attention. At about 15%, I'm paying a little bit more attention. But at about 20%, I'm, I'm thinking about possibly maybe you know getting out if you hadn't already. And at 30%, I think most of America 
probably tapped out, and that's why the, that. And by the way, the reason that the stock market declined as much as it did in two thousand eight and two thousand nine is because that's called serial correlation. As people started to tap out and panic, more and more people are panicking. More and more people are panicking. More and more people are panicking. You see that serially. That's a serial correlation where where the the selling pressure is mounting because, and they're selling just because they're down twenty five, thirty, thirty five, forty, forty five, fifty, fifty five, sixty. You know, the S&P 500 dropped 56%. Now, that is not acceptable to my investors, and nor is it to me personally. I, I You know, 20% drawdown is about as most I'm, you know, that that's within my tolerance. And, and the reason for that, by the way, is because it takes me 25% to get back. Sure. I, you know, if I go down 30, it'd take me 43%, and I just don't want to have to dig out of a hole. When I'm good, if I'm good enough at managing risk and, and maintaining the drawdowns within reason, you know, 10 to 15%, I think, is reasonable. Sure, you know, I of think, course. That's reasonable, but when we go beyond fifteen percent, man, you're talking about having to really dig out of a hole, and and so that's just how I do it. I know I got a lot of friends who are who who don't see it that way, and they disagree with that, but that's fine. My equity curve looks consistent as it does because that is my goal. Is I am I am applying tight risk management. I am also doing some counter trend along the way. And I'm applying it to world markets to identify trends across all kinds of different markets and different uncorrelated markets. I'm, I'm creating my own unique return stream by creating unique return streams. You know, when you take, if you take the energy sector ETF uh, and, you, and you look at its price trend, well, there's one return stream. Well, if I apply some trend following method to that, well, I, that's a whole new return stream that, that don't exist, you know, without doing that. And then I can apply a counter trend. Uh, to that return stream, and there's a whole nother looking chart. You see what I mean? I just drew two. I just drew three charts with three using the same exact data, but applying different methods to it. And so what I'm actually doing is my systems are are sophisticated enough that that's actually how how I'm ultimately doing it. Now, to get back to your your question is so number one, I'm managing the majority of people's money, you know, almost, in almost every circumstance. Now, sometime when the financial see, there's three ways that financial advisors use my my managed account. Now, they use it a little differently than me sometimes, but there's three ways they'll do it. Number one is they they may use it as a complete portfolio all in one account, which is how we do it. And that portfolio is going to have around ten to fifteen ETFs in it, at, you know, fully loaded, and and it may go or it may be 100 percent cash as as it's been you know nine or ten times in the past decade. So it can go from you know fifteen you know ten or fifteen positions, or it may be zero you know to cash. Uh, cash is the only way to completely avoid loss. Uh, there is no other way. I mean, you know, cash is where we ultimately that's the default when things are going down. We may go short just a little bit, but cash is where we will. We are not afraid to go to cash. Now, they so they may use it as a complete portfolio all in one account. The second way they may use it is a lot of a lot of investment advisory firms uh, are in, in the United States are asset allocators and they have these they have their own asset allocation models and it may be passive using index funds like I mean I'm using index funds so I love index funds myself uh, they're systematic an ETF is a systematic trading system it, sure. it's a systematic index some of them may be using mutual funds and trying to pick active mutual funds to beat those indexes I think that's a lot harder to do. That's the part of active management that I actually don't agree with that much. You know, is that I don't. I think it's very difficult to find a mid cap manager that's going to beat the mid cap index. Uh, I think there's a lot of manager risk involved in that. I personally would rather just buy the ETF index at a much lower cost and just get know what I'm getting rather than having the the risk there. 
So, so they may have their own asset allocation, and they call that strategic asset allocation. They rebalance it, and they have some, you know, they do it the way they do it. Well, what they may do with me, and that, by the way, I call that symmetry, too, because it's usually a balanced portfolio. So I call that symmetry. What they do may do with me is they may, uh, some of the advisors that are using asymmetry, my program, is that they may add it in 20, 30, 40, 50%. And it may be, it's the sort of the tactical strategy added to their allocation because I am going to create a very different looking return stream than their asset allocation model does, as evidenced by the last 10 years. It's a very different strategy, very different return stream. And so they can add those two together that have lower drawdowns, a whole lot more return. Okay. Now, the third way that they'll do it is some, some firms are more of, uh, more of like the endowment model where they actually use hedge funds and private equity and all these alternatives. They'll, they'll use private real estate trusts and you know whatever it may be. Now, they call that the endowment model, and, and those are policy portfolios where they don't use modern portfolio theory and optimization to do their allocation. They just have some investment committee that says, we're going to put this much in here, this much there, and this much. And, and they'll have an allocation called quote-unquote alternatives and, and the way I, asymmetry, my program fits into that, is that it would be a liquid alternative. Okay, so it's like a liquid alternative to a hedge fund or a liquid alternative to a, you know, to a fund, and, and they get transparency and liquidity and control. And so they will, they will, they consider me an alternative investment strategy. Whereas some financial planners, they don't so much consider me an alternative investment strategies. They could just consider me a tactical manager as a component to what they do. And then the first one that I mentioned, some of them will actually do what we do, which is we put all, you know, we, we only do this portfolio. So all of our investors are in this portfolio, including us. And, and so we use it as a complete portfolio all in one account. And that's what it was designed for. Now, in doing that, because that that's a big obligation, you know, we 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 the the risk control is is much tighter, I think, and 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 our our, our downside risk is a huge component because we don't want that downside risk to go too far. We don't want them to panic out when somebody taps out. I don't know when you'd ever get them back in. If somebody's account dropped, you know, you know, twenty percent or thirty percent, and they tap out, they get out and they say, you know what, get me out. I mean, so at what point do they want to get back in when it drops 30 more or when it goes up 30? I don't know. I mean, you tell me. I mean, I, I don't have an answer to that, so I don't want to go there. We don't want to get them there. We want to, we want to give them something that's going, to, that's going to be within their risk tolerance. It's going to fit within their objectives for risk. And then the second thing of asymmetry is that how much return do they need? Is what, what kind of a total return do they need? So like my managed account, I can say is, you know, it's gained like 120% net of our our average management fees, like 2%. So it's it's 120% total return over a 10-year period net of the man, of all costs. And I think it may be more than 120%, but last time I noticed it was 120%. And um, over about a 10-year period, well, that that's a pretty strong return. You can do the simple math, get the average. And it's had the worst drawdown was 14%. The second worst drawdown was like, I think, 9 And the third was like, you know, 7 so it doesn't go down a whole lot, and it's got this you know big nice total return. So it's a very steady return stream, and that fits a lot of people, and it fits both institutions, family offices, and investment advisors, and and individuals. And in order to do what I do, you see, when you look at my return stream, it looks different than your than the man say the managed futures indexes, and it's because I am I am I'm trend following. I am systematic. 
I do have models, I do have systems, and I do have a you know I do have a person and people who can if it can come in and actually implement it. Uh, you know, you know, and, and and down the road, I am definitely going to have somebody who will be able to do that. So, you know, you could think about well, you know, key man uh, risk. Well, you know, it's no different than Bill Gross. You know, when when any big when a money manager leaves a firm or leaves a fund. You know, it is what it is. You know, so they say, well, what if something happened to you? You know, well, first of all, I do have, I, I, you know, we do have the, the model version. So we do have people who could implement it, continue to do it. The, the second thing is, though, which I think is even more important, though, ultimately, if something really happened to me at this stage, you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, you know, if Bill Gross leaves, you know, PIMCO total return and you decide what you want to do about it. You know, yeah. uh, down the road, we will have a we do have a secession plan. I do have somebody I mentioned that I've hired that I think down the road will be somebody who's going to be closer and closer to the portfolio management process. But I but I, you know, I, I just believe that uh, I, I don't think that I, I'm not willing to say that what I do is I, I'm not willing to do it on a fully 100 percent mechanical way whereby my programs are just routing a trade directly to a broker and executing it that way. Now, I don't think, you know, I know there's a lot of people that do that, and, and that's fine. Uh, and, if you, and if you believe your system is that complete, and I do believe my system is very complete, but at the end of the day, I, I think really the only thing that I'm doing that's really the human element is, is that I, I am executing it, you know, I'm making the ultimate decision. And then secondly, I would be afraid while the last 10 years I've been doing the same thing over and over and over again, okay, I, I know I, I'm, I'm aware, I'm, as, 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 a, as a famous person said, I'm a, I know what I don't know. I think it's Larry Hyatt that says that. I know what I don't know. And, and, and I, I'm not going to say, I would not say that I would index what I do and be willing to put my name on it and say that it's going to, and it's going to do the exact same thing for the next 30 years. And I don't say, and I say that because I don't believe anybody's been able to actually accomplish that in that level of, of mechanical system. I don't think anybody's been able to do that. I'd like to see it if they have, you know, send me an email and, you know, explain it to me. I'd like to see it, but I, I just don't think we can go quite that far. I just think that there's things that change over time, whether it's new markets coming in or out, or, you know, there's certain things that I think do have to change over time. We have to evolve with it. And and I think there is there's a human skill involved in doing that. I, I definitely, without a doubt, know for sure that there is a human skill involved in executing the strategy. I could not post or or email my trades and other people be able to follow my trades. I, I I've tried that before. We've tried it with some advisory firms where we give them signals, and that's very difficult to do unless they got a real professional trader who's not going to think twice about it and they're just going to pull the trigger. But but operating the system, it's not as easy as just doing a back test and then you go out and you, and you just run this system and it and it works well into the future. Sure. You know, there's there's a whole lot more. There's all this experience that that the guys that you and I both know that have been doing this for thirty years. There's a lot of experience and knowledge that they have and that I have over the last ten or fifteen years. There's experience and knowledge that you have about the markets and how they work that I think is necessary to be applied. And, and that's, that's just what I believe. And I don't think I, 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 I challenge anybody to disprove that because I've been, I've asked a lot of people, everybody I know that's been doing this stuff for 30, 40 years. And I've yet to have anybody completely show me that they can, that they can really say that, that there is not some, 
you know, human element and human skill involved in it. I wanted to jump to the next uh, topic, which is risk management. We've already touched upon it, but I, I want to I want to ask a question here. You know, you say that you, for example, you you don't want to go below twenty percent. Um, so here's just a, a a question: If you're down fourteen, fifteen percent, and maybe at some point in the future you might be down seventeen percent, does the fact that you are close to the twenty percent do you think that influences your position sizing or the, you know whether you take a signal or not is is that where your um you would say your your real sort of um finesse or fine tuning of the implementation comes in that is, that is uh you're you're precisely right um yeah so when i get into a drawdown and i and i'll tell you what i'll just walk you through you know i had a 14.3% drawdown in the managed account um, and, and that was during, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, 2008, 2009 period. And so I had, uh, and, and I'll kind of give you my recollection of how that played out. So I remember in early September of 2008, at that point, by the way, remember I said earlier that we actually were actually quite positive, uh, for the year when the S&P 500 was down because we were in some things that were going up and shorts and things that were going down. Um, when, when we, I remember around September of 2008, um, uh, I had, uh, uh, markets that I was in had declined and I think we had about a 3.4% drawdown before I exited all positions. So, so it was my, my exits, you know, the markets had already become very choppy, you know, for, and had been for about a year at that stage. Cause see the, the peak in say the stock market in a lot of global markets was in October 2007. So we're talking a whole year later. The markets had already been, you know, very volatile. Okay. So my, my exits, uh, you know, we, my, my, my risk management was quite tighter and I'd already been in and out a few times, by the way, in 2008, I'd already exited a few times, got back in a few times in some things. And so in, De in September of 2008, I remember I got out and I was in cash uh, I want to say around the first week of September, and I was in cash all the way through uh, the early part of that October 2009 waterfall decline. Now I remember, I remember these dates specifically because I remember on October the 13th was that big. That was that big Friday that it, that that week of uh, ending October the 15th, 2008, and the, I'm talking about the stock market. And of course, as you know, world markets were declining. It wasn't just the stock market. Uh, that was that big waterfall, that first waterfall decline. And on that Friday, uh, I remember uh, uh, was was a major waterfall day. And then uh, and at that during all that, I was actually we the, the managed account was it was pretty much in cash. I think it's 100 percent in cash during that whole time. In fact, I'll tell you this: I was uh, the last speaking engagement I did publicly uh, was at a uh, an, an alternative investment conference in Atlanta. Uh, and it's during that time, and it was when uh, I guess Lehman Brothers or one of the big brokers had failed, and that's what uh, they say led to the waterfall. Well, we were in cash. That period was so dangerous that money the that money market broke the buck. I, I think it was called the reserve fund or something. It it, it actually dropped what was it two or three percent if you remember. Sure. That period was that 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 was that was that that's how dangerous that period was. I actually remember sitting in the hotel when I was at that speaking engagement. I remember sitting in the hotel and I actually diversified across four money markets. 
I actually called a money market analyst that was that writes a, a research report on money markets, and I and, and talked to him. And I, I we we actually allocated across different money markets of uh, because we didn't want to have all our money in this one money market, and that's that's how dangerous that period was. But we were you know we had got we had gone to cash during that time. Uh, now now I know a lot of not a lot of managed futures trend followers had actually gotten short because they short more than I do, and they had actually gotten short and actually was was starting to profit from that period, but. But we'd gotten in cash. Now I actually re-entered uh, the following week when the when the market uh, markets uh, took off very sharply. All of a sudden, you know, counter trend move. They and they took off very sharply. Had gotten back in. It went up and then it went down. And I had another drawdown of around seven percent. So three point four plus seven. You know, you're getting into ten or eleven percent. Okay. Now at that time I was down around seven per, or around ten percent because again it you know the markets had reversed up. I got in. It went up a little bit, uh, turned around and went back down. And I'll never forget, on October the 15th, I had, a, I had filed an extension on my tax return. I was in my conference room the entire day with accountants, you know, trying to get my tax return finished. And I'll never forget that I walked out of there and the market was already closed. The markets were closed and, and, and you know, we, we had lost what we had made in that position and, and then some. And it actually lost 7%, you know, so we had, we had you know, incurred a drawdown. Now, at that time... You know, we wasn't all that concerned about it, really, uh, because the fact of the matter is, uh, gosh, you know, we were so we were down 10 percent off our peak and and probably most people were down like 30 or 40 or, you know, or maybe more percent at that stage. You know, so we, it wasn't a big deal. It was a pretty minor thing. Wasn't wasn't a major deal. Now, uh, once I got down, see, I only I only risk a certain amount at a time. OK, so if you if you don't want to have a 20 percent drawdown or more, then that necessarily means that you're not going to have uh, you're, you're going to have a limit of how much open risk you have on at any given time, you see, because you need you need I'll call it units. You know, you need like, you know, they, they used to call it units of risk. Well, I'm going to call it units. You need blocks or units of risk that you can use at different times because, it's, it's not as simple as allowing your portfolio to go down 20% and getting out. I guess what, what do you do then? Just give them their money back? I don't know. I mean, what do you do? I mean, I'm, and I'm not guaranteeing that we're not going to ever have a 20% drawdown. I'm just saying that's my objective. I, I'd like to stay with, you know, less than that. Sure. And so, so, so what that means that I do then is that my, my, you know, my exits across all of my positions and my overall portfolio risk across the entire portfolio is controlled within certain, you know, certain amounts of risk in each of these things and across the entire portfolio. So I only risk so much at one time. Notice that I said 3.4% and then it was seven. And then, and once I got down about 10, then, then I had to, I very, I'm very much, uh, reduced my, my position size, uh, going forward because in order, so the only way you can control your downside that way is to reduce your position size going forward and kind of what I call crawl out of that drawdown. So you're in this little hole and you want, if you want to get back out of it, because if you just keep on betting the same amount, then of course, you know, you're just going to have a, keep on having a bigger drawdown possibly. And you can, I've got friends that did that and they were down 40%. You know, I mean, they, I've got a lot of friends that do similar things than this and they don't manage risk the way that I do. They ended up being down four percent, forty percent, and they did it ten percent blocks at a time. So they're down ten, and they made, it, and then they were down ten again. They're down ten again. Ten. By the time it's all over, they're down about forty percent. Well, so so on the recovery, as things start to finally trend back up again, 
uh, I, you know, I gradually started gaining exposure. And so we kind of, you know, we, we got out of the drawdown. And once we got out of the drawdown, then I start taking more and more and more risk again. So that's, you know, that's really the essence of how I'm doing this. I mean, sure. and, and so you can kind of see that in the equity curve. You'll notice that I didn't participate in, you know, some of these markets really, they really shot up strong. And we didn't participate in much as much as that because the risk management systems that I do don't allow me to do that. It, it forces me to, to reduce my risk. Now, I know that, you know, a lot of your pure managed futures CTA trend followers or, you know, would, would disagree with that kind of strategy, but they also are willing to have much larger drawdowns as are their clients. I mean, their investors are, you know, a 30 or 40% drawdown, you know, but again, that comes back to that's a, an investor, a family will give me their entire, you know, their entire capital, you know, they'll sell their business and they'll invest, you know, they could invest 10 or $100 million with me and, and I would feel comfortable putting it all in this strategy because that's the way it's managed. Now, if I were managed and if I were really, you know, swinging for the fences uh, and were willing to have bigger drawdowns, you know, that'd be different, but I wouldn't expect to get all their money. I'd expect maybe to get a 5, 10, 20% allocation. Sure. I want to uh, move on just to cover a few other things, but just, just on a very quick note, maybe there is a quick answer to this one, and that is how come you don't take much short exposure well in a managed account you got to realize that these are these are you know mostly these are individual investors mm-hmm. uh, a lot of my our investors especially early on uh, you know they a lot of them probably watch their watch their accounts quite closely I think uh, they have full liquidity you know they have full transparency and so they're able to see everything sure. And I can tell you that in the early days I had some some large investors you know that that would you know I think most of them probably look at their account regularly at, at first until they get used to seeing what how it happens, and that's that's the nice thing about the transparency is that they get to see it and, and experience it and see how the strategies kind of plays out. The downside to that is, and this is also why you know you you know if you're going to do something other than this, and this is you know you want controlled transparency. I call the fund strategy has controlled transparency. They don't get to see the trade, so you can do things in there that they don't see. The fact of the matter is, if you're doing it in a managed account, and particularly if it's if they got five million dollars and all their money's in there and they're watching it, you know, every day or you know a couple times, a, you know, whatever a week or maybe once a month or something, you have to realize that they see that. And and when you you know people have, I, I can tell you that. Uh, whether it's a, a person that's you know that's sold their business for a hundred million dollars, or it's a, a surgeon that, that's retiring with five million in his profit sharing account, or it's an engineer with you know a million dollars in his in his four hundred one k or whatever it may be, um, you know they there are certain there are certain parameters by which you have to deal with you know you're you're dealing with human behavior. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter how good your return stream is or how good your performance is. You ultimately, we ultimately have to get these investors to be able to deal with the strategy and what we're doing. And so because they see what we're doing, if we were, you know, if I was short, you know, 50 percent, the trouble, the, the challenge to that would be, uh, you know, you say, say, say you're short the stock market, for example, uh, what happens is the stock market will go down very fast and it'll turn around and shoot right back up pretty fast too, right? So like that 10% decline just recently, you know, it was a very V bottom decline. Well, when you're, well, if you, you know, if you're trend falling, you're going to get short it after it's already gone down, you're going to get short and it's going to turn around and go back up and you're short. And, and, and that upside, you know, when the, when the market, when the market takes off into another, you know, and resumes its trend, 
it usually does so, like I said earlier, with high velocity and high speed. And so, and here you are, you're short. And so it, it's difficult. There, there are certain parts, you, you know, we have to manage the managed account within the understanding that, you know, you do have people that can see that. And, and you and you want to do it within, you know, so you do have to actually do it within their, it's their account, it's their money, you know, we're a fiduciary, we have to manage it within their objectives and their ability to deal with it. And we have to kind of teach them that over time for some people. Some people just totally, you know, they don't, they don't bother with it and they don't look at it that much. But, and then there's some that we certainly don't allow, we don't want them to look at it every day or anything, but, but I, that's just how I did it. So I... That's the biggest reason. Shorting, there is nothing wrong with going short markets. You know, I like going short markets, but I'd have to do that in a fund and control oh, transparency. Sure, makes sense. What do you think from a just from a just a, a one question on the uh, on sort of business in 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 general uh, and and obviously uh, you know looking at it from your point of view, what do you think is the biggest challenge today when you look at at at, at your business? Um, I think the biggest challenge, you know, I don't know, I guess for me, I don't, I don't feel I'm very comfortable with my, my execution and my strategy, sure, sure. Uh, very comfortable with, you know, people are, I know a lot of people are afraid of the, what the fed has done the last, you know, five or six years and who knows how that's going to unfold, but I can assure you, I don't think twice about it. I mean, I, I'm very well prepared. I am very premeditated, very prepared for whatever's going to happen next because, of, because I do have systems and I have, You know, I have, you know, the, the nice thing about develop the, the nice thing about having systems too is that it forces you to very precisely define every single detail of every decision. So I do have, you know, these these systems. And so I'm not worried about what the markets do. I do think the stock market is probably peaking out. It's been going for five years and eight months. It's one of the longest uh, bull markets in history. Uh, that's you know it's getting overvalued. From you know, if a fundamentalist would say at this point, a fun the fundamentalist ought to be at this stage, right as of right now today, January 2015, they ought to be talking about bubbles because it's at the bubble level fundamentally. So that's all going to change at some point. Interest rates at some point. Interest rates are going down amazingly, but someday interest rates will go up, and so therefore bonds will go down. So you have bond prices will you know bond prices will eventually go down fifteen or twenty percent someday, and it'll be the first time they've done it in thirty years, and it's going to shock Americans and and, and people around the world. And uh, and the stock market is probably eventually going to peak out, and it'll go into another bear market again. Who knows how bad it'll be? I know I'm very well prepared for both of those scenarios. And and I'm looking forward to it. In fact, that would be a good scenario for me because I love those conditions. I'm what what's probably going to happen in the next five years is going to be where I make you know the way that I executed through the 2008-2009 period. That's what I love. I mean, I love that period, and and you know we're well prepared for it. It's always nice when everything's just kind of going up and you're just kind of going with the flow. But I like the challenge. I love the challenge of of the when it gets a lot more difficult, and then that's whenever we also find out who's not wearing clothes. You know, we find out who's really got you know who's really got an edge and who don't and And I'm very confident in my edge. I, I can't guarantee it, but I can tell you I'm real sure about what I'm going to do about it. And now, the challenge to, for me, I think, going forward is, you know, we've been doing this in a very uh, almost a family office-like situation where we've got just, you know, these, these small group of people that I've worked with for many years. We know them really well. And they're all over the country, by the way. They're not just in Tennessee or Florida. They're everywhere. They're in New York and Texas and, you know, all over the place. And uh, And I think that I think that the uh, I think that 
the thing that we're working on right now is we're wanting to get my my managed account strategy out to investment advisors, and I think the challenge to that is is that you know can we find advisors who really understand the strategy that we're not just trying to beat the stock market every month or every year or anything. It's not a stock market thing. A lot of advisory firms tend to be so stock market focused. Uh, it's hard to get them past that and look at a unique return stream. So I think that's a big, big challenge is to try to try to get them to see, listen, look at my return stream, look at the equity curve, look what it looks like. And, and we're, we're doing something very intentionally here. And, and this is something that your investors would probably appreciate. And we have to try to get them to understand that. And that, 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 is, that is my single biggest challenge is, I believe, because we've been trying to do it for, you know, about two years now. And, and, and I think that in going forward, we're going to do it at a much bigger scale because I'm bringing people on board that's going to be, you know, taking it further than we have. And so, you know, I'm going from, the, you know, I just wrote a, a, a very, I, I wrote a 10-page letter to my, my investors. Uh, over, uh, we, just, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and I wrote a 10-page letter about it, and, and I described the evolution over time of, of how we do things. And it's really more of, you know, custodians and brokers than it is the system itself. But um, I think that, uh, you know, as I, as I sat down and gazed into the future, you know, I, I, I think that we, I, I think I have something that we do need to take more publicly. We do need more, we, we need to share it with more people. And, and we're developing the systems and, and the ability to be able to do that without it interfering with me. My, my thing has been is I'm so deeply committed to what I'm doing that I've always been very concerned. My number one, my number one concern has been anything that would affect my mojo, anything that distracts me. So I have to be very careful that I do what I do every day and I'm very, very focused and in the zone. And and that I don't that I don't get distracted. So there's there's a challenge is that I I have to continue to stay focused and not not be distracted by you know any kind of growth or anything else that's going on. You know I'm I'm very 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 focused. And in trying to take it to you know I think advi- the advisor the vet registered investment advisor channel is the way f- forward for us as far as getting it out to more people. And um, and then overall I don't know I mean I think that you know you look at the industry. Uh, you know, I, you know, I got a lot of people that will send me articles and you know, I write, you know, I write articles on asymmetry observations and people send me a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of talk about liquid alternatives. There's a lot of talk about, uh, back testing and a lot of back tested models being sold, uh, by people who don't really have any experience actually executing them. So you really don't know how well they're going to do. Uh, you don't have any real track record there. It's kind of like me saying I'm a great baseball player and writing it on paper, but I haven't actually done it before. And uh, I think that's a challenge is that, you know, you got people, you got sort of what I consider charlatans that are out, you know, saying they can do things, but they don't really have real experience doing it. And, 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 in, and in one case, I even somebody pointed out a, a certain firm to me that says that they're a, uh, they call themselves a pioneer in quantitative trading, you know, quantitative tactical systems. And they're saying they're a pioneer and, and, and I don't, I don't know if the people are even over 30 years old and, and which is very disrespectful for the people that we know who are the true pioneers, which goes all the way back to Richard Donkian and Richard Dennis and, and uh, you know, Wells Wilder and, and all those people way back there, you know, uh, who, who really started all this. And then Ed Sakota and all these people along the way and you know, Jerry Parker and, you know, all these other people that have done this stuff for so long. They're, they're the pioneers. You know, we've been able to learn from them. And uh, so... It's, you know, I think challenge wise, there's a lot of talk about the liquid alternative space. 
you know, what I do is is a true liquid alternative. A managed account does you know is fully transparent, fully liquid, you know, daily liquidity, full liquidity, full control. They if they want to take a you know they can do tax loss harvesting at the end of the year in their accounts. If they lost money in their business, they can we can take some gains. You know, they can they can control the taxes and within their own individual account. You know, we can do that at the end of the year, which we do for some people. And uh, so it's a true liquid alternative. I think uh, going forward, everybody, you know, they're trying to index everything and trying to put everything into ETFs and or mutual funds, and and that's all good. And there's there's a whole lot of I tell you something. I think it's fascinating is that I started hearing a lot about this. Uh, you know, I don't read newspapers or anything. I focus on what I do more than anything. But I do. I get a lot of feedback from other people that I know. And this hedge fund replication is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk bad about people, but here's the, here's just the reality. If, if, if hedge fund replication, now just think about that. That means replication means that you're going to mimic it or, or repeat it. Uh, if there's the only person that can run a hedge fund replication strategy would be a person who can, who has actually you know managed hedge fund before. The funny thing is the people that are claiming to replicate hedge fund strategies are uh, are actually people who don't actually manage hedge funds in the past. So if you've got somebody who has a good performance, yeah, they could do it because they they're they're hedge fund managers, but they're wanting to replicate these strategies and they've never actually even managed it before. So how are they going to replicate it? They may try to figure out what you're doing, but at the end of the day, you know, will they even even if they could figure it out, can they can they even execute it at all? You know, so that's I don't know. I guess challenges wise is you know can we. Can we get the uh, get advisors and investors to understand and get what we're doing and what our goals are? The last sort of topic, uh, and and just being mindful of the the time uh, here, um, I call it general and fun, and it's just really a couple of short questions to you. Um, just to give you a, 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 or get people a, a little bit more of a chance to uh, to get some of your insights. Um, I mean, you mentioned you read more than 500 books. If you were going to recommend one or maybe two books uh, that has really had a big impact on you and that you would recommend uh, uh, my listeners to read, what would that be? Uh, well, funny you say that. I'm actually working on an article, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, the article is going to be titled "My My PhD," which is his doctorate of philosophy. And a doctorate of philosophy just it, you know you don't have to go to college to actually get one. And, you know, really, I guess. Uh, so I'm actually going to be listing uh, very soon a big long article, and I'm going to list all the. There's probably going to be a hundred to 150 books on there that are so critical that I think you would actually need to read them and understand sure. them. But if you could only pick two, Mike, I have to pin you on that one. Yeah, if I if I if I pick two, it would be Jack Schwagger's uh, Market Wizards, the one with Ed Sakota and sure. Richard Dennis and Van Tharp in it. Okay, sure. and and the second would be uh, Michael Covell Trend Following. Okay, great. And based on every and again, I'm just looking for a short answer here because of the time. Uh, based on on everything you've learned, if you were going to start all over today, what if anything would you do differently? Uh, if I started over today, I think that number one, uh, I would decide, depending on the strategy I was going to run going forward, sure. is do I want a managed account program or do I want a a hedge fund, which is just a private investment partnership? You know, it's right. limited 
relationship. And the way I would distinguish between those two is this. If 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 I'm running exchange, if I'm running just stocks and ETFs in a man, you know, then I, I can do it in a managed account. Sure. Um, if if I'm gonna, if I'm going, and, and you could even uh, even go short and even maybe use margin or leverage. Sure. sure. Even if I were going to trade futures, derivatives, or options, that's where the fund comes in, and you want to do it mostly in a pooled account. However, there's even brokers now that can actually even do a lot of that in a, man, a managed account too. But but I think that would be the thing. The first thing sure. I would think of is 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 who do I want to be? Do I, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to run a, if I'm going to run ETFs and stocks, I'm, I'm going to do a managed account and offer the transparency. Do if I'm going to do derivatives and options and more complex things, I want to do it in a pooled fund. And I think that's the main thing as I would decide between those two. Yeah, no, I think that that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, final question, Mike. Um, is there a fun fact? that you could share something that even people who knows you may not know about you. You have to give me an example on that one. <laughs> well, some people have said that actually they uh, can imitate uh, other people's voice. Uh, some people say that they get their best ideas uh, when they shower, um, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it could be anything. It could be nothing. I mean, I don't know. I guess the fun fact about me is that my my little dog, my little Shih Tzu Domino, uh, he he actually somehow got on. He actually somehow came in here. He, normally, he sits beside me most of the time during the day, and he actually just jumped up here in the chair beside me. And and so I'm I'm six foot two, uh, you know, two hundred seventy five pounds. Been you know kind of a bodybuilder all my life. I'm a pretty big guy, and I get out and walk a lot up and down the roads. So, you know, we have nice street, uh, nice uh, sidewalks in Florida, and I'm and I'm this big old guy. Looks like a linebacker, and I've got this little twelve pound uh, fluffy dog. <laughs> And so I guess that's probably the funniest thing about me is that I got this my little buddy's little domino and uh and so you know and and people kind of laugh because uh you know because you know we we walk you know we opposite attracts right yeah, yeah. We, yeah he's a, the best dog I've ever seen and so it's uh just kind of funny that you know my my favorite dog is is a little shih tzu little fluffy shih tzu and uh, he's my little buddy <laughs> Great stuff. Great way to uh, to end uh, our conversation. Uh, now, just uh, before we finish, uh, what's the best way for people to come and and learn more about uh, Shell Capital Management? Well, there's a couple of uh, mainly through the websites. I think number one is uh, our new website that's being launched right now is asymmetrymanagedaccounts.com. Okay. Uh, the other one is is, is shell-capital.com. If you just simply Google um, Mike Shell capital management or shell capital management, you'll find that any of those, I'm sure. And then the other, the asymmetry managed accounts.com will be the one that's going to actually have, we're going to have performance and information like that on there. Sure. And then the one, the one more that I, that, that is very popular, uh, my most popular website is asymmetry observations.com. Uh, you can Google asymmetry observations and that is where I write articles and you'll see a lot of the concepts that I've talked about. Sure, absolutely. And we will, of course, make sure that we have links in our show notes to those pages so that people don't uh, miss out, uh, which only leaves me really, Mike, to say, you know, thank you so much. I mean, you've uh, given a lot of uh, great views and insights and been very uh, open uh, and, uh, you know, about your opinions and what you found. And, and I appreciate that, that uh, that makes the conversation interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, I think Today we've touched upon things which uh, we've, uh, you know, not always covered uh, in in the podcast, and uh, so I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, and, and I really appreciate you and uh, and the questions you've asked. Excellent questions, and and I've listened to some of your other podcasts, which have been excellent. And you know, this is I'm a capitalist, and when I receive something, I want to give something back in reciprocity. And so, you know, I'm glad to glad to be able to share this with you, and and uh, glad to talk to you. And it's outstanding questions, and you're doing a fine job. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Mike, and I look forward to catching up uh, in the future. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.